Return to Roots. That's the name of today's little we transmission. Return to Roots. And today's date, 11222. I think that's pretty groovy. Maybe you do as well. I caught 1111 uh, also on 11222. So yeah, Return to Roots. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about returning to our racially appropriate and ancestral ways of eating. And I also want to talk a little bit about nutritional changes as uh, we go on in years, right? Nicer to say that than getting older. I might slip here and there and, and say getting older, but I want to do a little bit of focus today on 50 plus nutrition. So for the humans out there, there are listeners who are in that phase of their life, Oftentimes, the nutritional world is not just full of all different types of uh, various snake oil, zao sludge. It's also most of the time focused on people who are under 50 or men. So I want to talk a little bit today about 50 plus nutrition, but especially for women out there. And then I want to talk about ancestral diets and how we can't all eat the same thing. I think that's pretty obvious at this point, but we're going to talk about it from more of a nuanced perspective. And it's a great day, really great day. I'm taking in a hike right now. I'm checking out all the autumnal hues. We've got green and uh, yellow, orange, red. It's like the lower triangle of the chakras plus the anahata. It's, it's really groovy looking. So yeah, let's talk about 50 plus nutrition for women and how that could differ from maybe when we're in our earlier time in our lives. So as time goes on, Sometimes we want to trim back on the carbohydrates once we're over the 50 plus realm. Does this mean we want to go low carbohydrate or zero carbohydrate? No. Just as one gets older, especially if they're older, there I am again, as one goes on in their years, uh, they can have less minerals, especially if they're not diligent about replenishing them. Maybe they've had a lot of births, and of course a woman loses 10% of her minerals with every birth something to consider there. So we really need to get minerals in. And of course, if we don't have enough minerals, we can deal with blood sugar swings. And of course we can deal with this even if we're getting enough minerals and we're just not eating enough or eating the wrong combination of foods, right? So as we get to this point in our life, when let's assume someone is out of the window of, of childbearing. I know that's different for everybody and that's determined based on how you live your 20s, 30s, and 40s is determined when you're going to go through the quote change, right? And nowadays things are so sludgy and zoggy, there are women going into the quote change in their 30s, which is completely unnatural and a sign that we're living not just in the industrial society where the main disease was cancer, but now we're in the futuristic society where the main disease is senescence, where individuals will become old whilst they're still young, or will never actually get a chance to be young, will always be old, like all these youngsters that are being born with the big C or told they have the big C, of course, after being, you know, assaulted by vaccinations and everything. So it's, it's a rough world out there. But I think of the rural Thai some of you who are familiar perhaps with the work of Ajanis van der Planets, founder of the Primal Diet, perhaps are familiar with his story of the rural Thai. And he visited these people in a very rural area of Thailand. They didn't even speak the regular uh, Thai dialect. And when he met them, he thought they were far 
younger than they were and the women were in their 70s and they looked like they were in their early 40s and many of them were still cycling and they were having babies so the idea that we have to go through this change so really so early in life is because of this industrial and now futuristic society and then I also think about something in regards to felids or cats. Cats don't get a menstrual cycle. Dogs do, but cats don't. But cats never go through menopause or the quote change, which is very interesting. And they stay fertile until they're, they basically, they die, right? And they reach sexual maturity around six months of age. And at that point, they're able to reproduce and get pregnant and carry young and, and go on with all that type of stuff. So it's interesting to see how maybe all these things we've been told about these supposed milestones in our life, it really doesn't have to be this way. And of course, there are many things we can do to really stay fresh and sexy and, and all of that stuff without, you know, pulling our faces back and lasering off part of our yoni, which is just absolute mind-zoggling misogyny. I don't really have to spend too much time talking about that. But nevertheless, Carbohydrates, they become uh, less of a necessity after one is out of that uh, window of childbearing. So you might want to do like a one-to-one -one ratio of your carbohydrates to protein. You also might do better with the complex carbohydrates, things that are taking slower time to digest and let's say a simple sugar like juice, for example. I typically don't really do a lot of juice because I personally think it's, it's too yin and it's kind of like an extract of a food. I have more of my macrobiotic and TCM ways of talking about it than more of the, the Western modality, but whatever works for you. Complex carbohydrates are sometimes better, not for everybody, especially if someone's got some gut stuff going on, but if we stick to the topic of 50 plus nutrition, complex carbohydrates can more slowly be you know, used in the body as opposed to a quick up and down. It's, it's kind of similar to the way the caffeine in coffee and tea works. With coffee, you get a zoom up and a zoom down, especially if you're not eating enough food or eating enough protein, and if you have sluggish liver health, and then with tea, tea is like that steady flow where you go, just you just ride that flow. So for example, if you're eating 30 grams of protein per meal, and I'd recommend that for everybody, regardless of where you are in your life, 50 plus, under 50, whatever, you want to eat about 30 grams of carbohydrates. Perhaps the ones who are a little bit younger can opt to eat a little more carbohydrate. So that's one thing to keep in mind as we go throughout our years. Something else is that we may want to make sure we're getting enough fiber so we can release the excess estrogen. Things like the raw carrot salad or raw carrots are a good thing. I like to cook beets. Uh, even grated raw beets are nice, but this time of year is really cooked beet weather. You know, things like borscht um, come to mind for myself. Uh, you could also do the fibers of very well-cooked cruciferous vegetation, which you would toss with, you know, olive oil or butter or ghee after it came out. And of course, you know, seasoning it to taste with a high quality salt. That can help release the excess estrogen that's stuck in the tissues. And of course, they always tell us in the Zyosludge allopathy that estrogen goes up after menopause. It stays in the tissues. It's no longer moving throughout the blood like it does when we're in our cycling years, right? And of course, there's three different types of estrogen too that the body makes. And then of course, we have phytoestrogens from food, and then we have xenoestrogens from all the zog sludge in the world, right? So not every estrogen is created equally, but we need to make sure we're using the john to basically evacuate and get you know old hormones and toxins and feces out of our system. 
but we also want to make sure we have a wee bit of fiber so we can kind of gently push that out. Of course, you know, too much fiber and the fiber from, let's say, bran or something like that, I'm really not talking about that. I'm talking about more gentle vegetation fibers. So a little bit of information there, possibly helpful. Something else is that uh, no caffeine first thing in the morning. This is true for everybody, but especially as you go through the years and your minerals get lower, you handle stress less well typically. You do not want to take caffeine on an empty stomach uh, or first thing in the morning. You want to take it after you've gotten your 30 grams of protein, right? And an idea of a breakfast of 30 grams, you might say, what is she talking about? What's, what's 30 grams even look like? I can't even manage to think about that. 30 grams of protein, this is what I do. Two chicken sausages, two eggs, a morning beverage of some sort, maybe a bit of caffeine, maybe something herbal with a bit of gelatin or collagen, typically one scoop, and then a wee bit of milk. That gets me to about 30. If I have more milk or I'm more hungry, I can get to about 36. And that's just one meal. Some people are literally subsiding on that for the entire day. And if you look at the RIDA, or the Recommended Dietary Allowance for Protein, according to Zog, it's pitiful. It's like 45 grams for a woman and like 55 for a man. Maybe it's slightly higher during pregnancy and breastfeeding, but it's pathetic how much they're telling people how much protein they should eat and I'm sure they're going to lower it even more and especially if they're telling people things like lentils have protein which they don't lentils are a starch then it's going to be essentially null so it's really important that we take care of these things as we you know go on in years and also to consider when people go on in years, oftentimes their digestion is less strong with the Vedics called the Agni or the fire. And all of this wanes as the day goes on. So in the morning, we've got the most amount of Agni, right? As the day goes by, we have less of it. As we go on in our years, we have less of it, using the day as an analogy for our entire existence. So we really want to make sure that we're getting enough protein because if we're not digesting all of it as we get in our years, as time goes on, we might even be using the amount that we get. So that's why it's really important for the 50 plus crew to make sure they get enough protein. We see a lot of older people who have this like wasting away look to them because their body is literally eating itself because they're not nourishing themselves. So something else to remember, we always see kind of like on the Instagroid, there's so much uh, disinfo on Instagroid. It's, um, it really should be something that should be preceded with caution. But what happens is after we go through the change, the adrenals, the adrenals that, li that live on top of the kidneys, take over for the ovaries as well as the thyroid. So we need carbohydrates because carbohydrates is the main fuel of the body. The brain runs on glucose, gluconeogenesis, which is a backup form of that where we use fat as a fuel, that's a stress state. We have it in our bodies because the body is amazing and sacred and holy. And we have this as a backup system in case we're gonna be in a situation where we cannot have access to carbohydrates. So we need to eat some. We don't just wanna go buck wild with it. We don't wanna eat tons of, you know, white pasta and, you know, colas. You know, this is, this is not food. I, I don't think I have to reiterate that anymore, but that's really not food. So we do need some carbohydrates, especially to just keep like a good cushion of not becoming totally stressed out. And at this point, um, for a lot of ladies, the progesterone will go low 
are, I mean, women are having low progesterone in their 30s and their 20s now because things are so fucked up in this world. But at this point in one's life in the industrial society, I'm not saying it's normative, I'm just saying this is more likely when it happens at this point in one's life that they're going to need to make sure that they're getting adequate carbohydrates, right? Because the cortisol is going to go up as the progesterone goes down. And these low carbohydrate diets, yeah, you may feel good in the beginning when you're running on the stress hormones of adrenaline and cortisol, but then you will hit a wall and you'll hit a wall hard, especially women hit the wall a lot harder because we're more sensitive. Every week of the month for 40, 50 years, we're different, you know? So for us, we really have to make sure that we don't follow any of the bogus Zio sludge. Most of it online is crud. Are the people deliberately deceiving us? Probably not, some might, but a lot of people just, they just don't know, right? So we really have to figure out what works for our physiology, but keep that in mind that those parts of your body, the adrenals and the thyroid take over for the ovaries, you know, around the time of the change. So you have to make sure that you're getting some carbohydrates. You can't go totally without. Something else to consider is protein. I've been talking about this throughout this entire transmission. It is so important. I'd recommend at least 80, if not 100 grams. And if someone says, I can't eat that, I have no appetite. If you have no appetite, you're running on stress hormones and your minerals are low. So you gotta figure out how to fix that, right? Minerals to look out for would be potassium, sodium, magnesium. Those are all super important. Chromium for blood sugar health, especially. A lot of diabetics are deficient in that. Copper, zinc, selenium. No one's getting copper in their diet for the most part anymore, unless they're very you know, keen about eating oysters and, and liver and things of that nature that if you look at a restaurant menu from a hundred years ago, even in this country in America, oysters were common fare on the breakfast menu. Now it sounds bizarre and people are eating some sludge uh, hash brown fried in the most unsavory lipids and, you know, chugging back a low quality coffee and that's their, their breakfast. It's, it's quite mind-zoggling. Something else to consider is iron overload. Uh, many of us grew up eating iron-fortified foods, uh, pastas, uh, breads, uh, cookies, cakes, and stuff. So if we have low copper, we're going to have more iron. This can cause all types of blood sugar dysfunction. This can cause constipation. It scars the microvilli. It can cause heart palpitations. It can cause what they call lipofusin, which is, you know, uh, age or quote sugar spots on the skin. So we really have to take care of ourselves from kind of a, a full catalog of ways of doing things. So we've got the diet. We want to eat good amount of protein, want to eat good amount of complex carbohydrates, a little bit of fiber so we can make sure we're, we're pooping it all out. No uh, having caffeine first thing on an empty stomach. We want to make sure we're getting enough minerals. And also we want to make sure that we're doing something that will keep our uh, muscle mass, like weight training. You know, cardiovascular exercise is, is okay here and there. I'm not a huge fan of it. I kind of take the yogi approach to uh, just living in more of a slow thing. Not to say that we should live in a way that totally slows our heartbeat and our pulse down because then we're going to downregulate into like a low thyroid state. And I also don't believe we should be like fluttering around at like a super high state either because that's kind of like a mania state. That's kind of crazy. Although it fits the kind of paradigm of how people live now in, in the current world. But we really need to uh, weight train. That's very important. It's even important if you're under 50, of course. But if you're over 50 and you're like, what can I do? Like maybe you didn't know what to do when you're in your 20s, 30s, and 40s, and you're like, now I've got to make some changes. What can I do? 
weight training, really important. And of course, keeping flexible and limber, that's a really good sign of health. Um, if you're inflexible, that's a sign of maybe you've got to do emotional release. Maybe you've got some blood issues with stagnation and circulation, which could be from diet as well as from uh, just stress and anger and emotions and all that jazz. And keeping your hips open, super important. Keeping it open with not just yoga, but keeping it open with you know, pelvic self-care, um, yoni massage, yoni mapping, all this type of stuff, yoni steaming. This is all so important, whether you have a mate for intercourse and lovemaking or whether you don't, that doesn't even matter. This is the care of your yoni, whether you have a mate or not. That has nothing to do with it. It's just, it's your yoni, you care for it, right? So very, very important to do stuff that opens the hips. And I mean, we've had your yoni your entire life. You've got to have a relationship with it right? You can't just say like, oh, it's just there and I pee out of it and I used to, you know, have blood if you're past that point. You've got to take care of these things from a, a full catalog way of taking care of, of stuff. And the more you know now, you may be listening to this now and maybe in your 20s, 30s, 40s and thinking, I'm glad I'm knowing this now. So when that time does come, I can go into it with, with more grace as opposed to fear, right? And oftentimes we see personified in the Zio Sludge culture, this idea of, you know, craziness, you know, crazy PMS, you know, crazy menopause. And that's just based on dysregulation of the things we just spoke about. And I also think that living in this inherently misogynistic culture is a really big facet of PMS, right? I mean, they promote it as like some horrible thing. Is it, is it just a natural facet of, of being a woman or is it exacerbated because of the misogyny? I think it's kind of both in, in a nuanced way. Something to consider, definitely. So that's all I wanted to talk about in regards to 50 plus nutrition. And now just a little bit about race and nutrition from a post I made this morning or this afternoon over on um, the Racial Science Channel. Just a little bit of inspiration for people, especially if you're out there thinking, you know, everyone's the same, doesn't matter, you know, race, age, sex, constitution, we're all, we all bleed red, right? Well, yeah, we may all bleed red, sure, but we all have different blood types and we all have different ancestry, even among us who are white. So let's close out this little wee transmission, or it's getting a little bulky or plump right now, but very important information. And when I have the urge to share, I always share. So a bit about skin health and race. Something to remember, non-whites have more collagen in their skin and get away with eating more vegetation. Think of South Indian Dravidians. Majorities have flatter molars designed to masticate cellulose. This is especially true of the Negro race. If you notice how races age, often Northern European whites lose collagen earlier and experience drier skin because many of us have abandoned our ancestral diet, which was high in collagenous meat cuts and organs. Sadly, Many young women are opting for invasive and disfiguring plastic surgery to, quote, fix things as opposed to returning home to the diet of their kin. Another thing to consider, those of us with island ancestry got our vitamin A from seafood ophel, and we are unable to convert beta carotene into true vitamin A retinol. This is true as a whole, I think, for the majority of the white race. These types of naturally are naturally more carnivorous, especially if blood type Rh negative. Island folk also have a higher requirement for iodine because of their regular exposure to sea air, very important for thyroid health. When all else fails, being of Hungarian ancestry is a great, great way to stay vibrant and age gracefully. Not only are Hungarian women renowned for their exquisite beauty, but as a European sub-race, we have some of the most amazing skin. So eat your borscht with a plump dollop of sour cream. 
So a little bit there on my racial science page. And as far as I know, I think I'm the only nutritionist and wellness counselor out there that's working in the paradigm of race, age, sex, and constitution, giving a really customized, intuitive way. And yes, I can work with tests and stuff like that, but my domain is to do things from more of the yin, feminine, intuitive way, because remember, all these diagnostics are, are rather new. Can they help sometimes? Certainly. But I really think that when we hone our intuition and we return to our roots, magic can occur. So I'll leave it at that for uh, this little transmission. There'll be a live show next week. Not sure of the topic. I've got a lot of wonderful stuff planned for the last um, two months of the year of 2022. So I'm going to get on with my walk and... Uh, Think about good things and enjoy being alive and, and think about the ancestors. We're still in the Samhain week. This is uh, All Souls Day. Uh, they know it in Mexico as El Dia de los Muertos, but it's, it all, it's a day for all ancestors, regardless of, of where you are in this world. Think about your ancestors. Think about the people in your life who have not been here for a while and reflect on that. You know, you could always call, call to that to return to your roots as well. You know, the idea of of asking some guy who has key deficiency to answer your your wishes or prayers, I don't really think that makes much sense. I think when we really want to return to roots, we want to return to the, the call of the ancestor. So that's my message for today. I hope you are doing well in this white world, this big white world. We'll be connecting again soon. Okay, everybody. Satnam.